सहनावतु सहनौ भुनक्तु सह वीर करवाहे तेजस्वीनावधीतमस्तुमाषावहे ओ May the Lord protect us both, teacher and taught together. May the Lord give us the results of this knowledge. May we attain vigor together. Let what we study be illuminating. May we not cavil at each other. Om, peace, peace, peace. All right. So we are studying the Katha Upanishad, and we are towards the end of the um, the first section. This uh, Upanishad, by the way, uh, it has two chapters, and each chapter has three sections. So we are in the first chapter. First section is uh, almost over. And it ends with Najiketa repeating his question. You see, he um, had asked about the Atman. That was the third boon, or three boons he had been offered. The third boon he asked for was the secret of the Atman, our real nature. And Yama, instead of uh, answering his questions, um, he tells him, he scares him by saying it's very difficult, it's very subtle, even the gods are puzzled about this. Uh, and then he tempts him with a wide range of you know, offerings, wealth, long life, sensuous pleasures, heaven after death, um, children, grandchildren, all of that, whatever a person could ask for the entire uh, list, Black Friday list, you can, if you get all your demands fulfilled immediately. Um, and he rejects, Nachiketa summarily rejects all of them. And then he repeats his question. By rejecting all that, he shows his qualification for Vedanta. You know, when we enter Vedanta, we are asked for fourfold qualifications, Viveka, Vairagya, the sixfold treasures, and the Mamukshutvam. The discernment between the eternal and non-eternal, one. The dispassion for the non-eternal, two. And the six disciplines, which are called six treasures. Basically, control of uh, body and mind, persistence, and so on. And then, ultimately, the fourth one, Mumukshutvam, which means an intense desire to be free. An intense desire for spiritual liberation. And all that is, is uh, demonstrated by Najiketa in his persistence, he shows his desire for freedom and his clear differentiation between the eternal verities and the, the offerings of this life or the next life and the dispassion for, uh, for worldliness or even other worldliness. He, he wants just the truth. So having demonstrated his competence for Vedanta, um, Nachiketa repeats the question. We are in on the 29th mantra. 29th mantra. Yasminidam vichikitsanti mrityo yatsamparai mahati bruhinastat yoyam varo gudham manupravishto nanyam tasman nachiketo vrinite. O death, tell us of that thing about which people entertain doubt in the context of the next world and whose knowledge leads to a great result. Apart from this boon, which relates to that inscrutable thing, Najiketa does not pray for anything else. So having summarily rejected all of um, Yama's alternative offerings, he prays for Vedantic knowledge. And uh, he says, tell me that thing, which it's subtle about which there is great mystery and confusion. That's one thing. But he says, Mahati, which, which leads to extraordinary result. This is something that is stressed in the Upanishads again and again. The, the reason why we should persist in this quest and try to attain enlightenment in this life is that it leads to extraordinary result. What is that extraordinary result? We know it is supposed to be moksha, freedom from the cycle of birth and death, spiritual liberation, what does that mean in the context of this life here, right now? It means that complete and utter fulfillment and the ability to transcend sorrow, um, to go beyond sorrow. 
that that is the great result it's the greatest possible result uh, what we are looking for and he says get, tell me that and it's said nachiketa does not pray for anything else so the shankaracharya in his commentary says this is the upanishad speaking so it's neither yama nor nachiketa upanishad says look nachiketa does not want anything else you know, only we can say enlightenment god realization now we move on to the teachings of yama in the first mantra of the second section of first chapter anya shreyo anya duteva priya te ubhe nanarthe purusham sinita tayo shreya adadanasya sadhu bhavati yate arthad yau priyo vrinite translation the preferable is different indeed and so indeed is the pleasurable different these two serving divergent purposes as they do bind men good befalls him who accepts the preferable amongst these two he who selects the pleasurable falls from the true end all right it's a very profound statement we'll go a little bit into this but in general what's going to happen now for the next dozen or so mantras uh yama is not going to start teaching him about um, the atman right away we thought he's going to talk about pure consciousness uh, existence consciousness bliss and you know seer and the seen and the three states of waking dreaming deep sleep no 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 first uh, the he makes a very big distinction about the choice of life i think it it's a really important distinction he's going to make now this whole spiritual life what is it distinguishing it from worldly life what is what is truly a wise life what is truly a spiritual life he's going to talk about that the importance of that what it is so he's going to talk about it and he's going to praise it now and he's going to show the unique qualities of a true disciple and incidentally he will also mention the qualities of uh, or he'll praise the the teacher or the acharya the guru and show the importance of this knowledge but then basically what he's going to show is an important um delineation distinction between worldliness and spirituality and this is very important on the verge of spiritual life as we enter into spiritual life we have and even if we have been in spiritual life for a long time it is important to look back upon this what exactly am i trying to do and how is it different from what the masses are running after what is this project that i have undertaken it's not just true of vedanta anybody who is seeking spirituality this is a very clear distinction which is which is going to be made now uh, and the yama the teacher is telling nachiketa because of the choices that you have made when when did he make the choices all the things that were offered the entire range of pleasure and enjoyment was offered to him and nachiketa said no i want that uh, the knowledge about atman the knowledge about the ultimate reality then you have made your choice what is this choice you have made not just nachiketa all of us in fact i'll say everybody who's pres- present here has made that choice uh, already but it's good to know and know the difference between this and everything else that we have been doing all along and others are still doing all around us so two terms have been introduced which are very important this is true of spirituality everywhere shreyas and prayas shreyas and prayas shreyas is by the way a common name in india shreyas for boys and shreyas for uh, girls shreyas and prayas what's what do they mean as he has translated uh, he is, he means the preferable and the pleasurable shreyas means that which is good beneficial ultimately good later on swami gambhiranji in another place he translates as the electable and the delectable <laughs> that that which is nice pleasant that is prayas that which may not be nice and pleasant it might be nice and pleasant but may not be also but it is good which is ultimately beneficial for us ultimately leads us to the goal of human life the purpose of human life that is shreyas what do they mean what's the difference one is the world of the one is freedom from the world one is the shreyas is moksha basically what are the differences 
Shreyas is Moksha. Open the commentary. And Preyas is Samsara. What is the difference between Shreyas and Preyas? Shreyas is Moksha, Preyas is Samsara. There are two more words which you come across again and again in Vedanta. Abhyudaya Nishreyasa. Abhyudaya literally means rising up in the world. Prosperity, well-being. Now there's a new term, wellness in this world. And in the next world. So they, they took the long view, not just wellness in this world. You must do well after this, after death. You know, do you have a, not only a plan for retirement, do you have a plan for post-mortem plan? <laughs> Which heaven do you want to go to? Have you set aside your savings, your merits? Savings means not money, but your good works and merits so that you, you are sure of getting uh, a place in heaven. Uh, so all of that is uh, prayers. The pleasant life. Pleasant life just does not, is done, doesn't mean just partying or le uh, leading a sensuous life or, uh, you know, frivolous life. No, it could just mean a well-planned, good, um, worldly life. You take care of your education, your job, your health, your family, your savings, finances, and plan out your uh, expenses and vacations. Have a good time here and do your work for religion and community so that you are assured of having a good time after death also. All of that put together is prayas. The other word for it is abhyudaya, uh, prosperity, well-being in this world and the next. The other word for it is samsara. Um, samsara is in general, making an effort to have a good life in samsara. That, that is the meaning. Whereas, in contrast to this, um, Shreyas is, uh, is moksha, liberation from this cycle of birth and death. Another name for Shreyas is Nishreyas, complete Shreyas. Shreyas literally means what is good, what is high, noble, good. And Nishreyas is the ultimate good. It is spiritual realization, moksha, uh, liberation, uh, nirvana, kaivalya, many words are there for this. In fact, this Shreyas, Moksha, was the entire project of the ancient Indian mind for thousands of years. I'm not just talking about Advaita Vedanta. Whether it is Dvaita Vedanta, Vishishta Advaita, whether it is Sankhya, Yoga, Nyaya, Vaisheshika, the various schools of Buddhism, the, uh, the Jainas, all of them, all of them, in various ways, they all had this one ultimate goal, this Shreyas. It's something worth taking seriously. It's in this day and age, uh, we have sort of forgotten that. It is sort of people, it's not available to young people. For young people, if they think about what can I do in life, everything that they can think of and what society teaches them, parents tell them, school teaches them, the world advertises and shows them day and night, all of that total, you take it all, it will all go into the um, prayers bucket. All of it. Some of it is awful, miserable, um, harmful. Some of it is good advice, but still worldly, this worldly. So that is um, prayas, the pleasant. And this distinction is making. Um, he's saying, anyat shreya, anyat uteiva prayer. The two are different. Shreyas and prayas are different. And they lead you to different goals. They bind you to different kinds of life. Um, and the results are different. They, different means they cannot be combined. It's an important thing to be understood. You can't have your feet on both boats. Don't worry about it. The world and family and bank balance and all will be around. But they will no longer be your goal. They cannot be your goal. You'll, you'll see very clearly. That will not have any appeal for you anymore. So... Um, Let's go a little bit deeper into this. Remember, both Shreyas and Prayas come from the same human impulse. The impulse for satisfaction, fulfillment, and overcoming pain. One way of doing that uh, is Prayas. And another way, the wise way of doing that is Shreyas. 
what is the prayers? Let us first investigate a little deeply into this. Samsara, the pursuit of pleasure and trying to overcome suffering in this world as it seems to us, quite other than um, you know, Vedanta or spirituality. Uh, it can take different levels. There can be different levels of that. One level is an instinctive desire to enjoy pleasures. So an almost animalistic, an instinctive desire. So for example, uh, an addict uh, or somebody given to um, just pursuing pleasure in whatever form is uh, available, the next drink or the next dose of drugs or something. That's the worst case. Uh, a little better than that might be, I want pleasure. I want success. Uh, I want money. I want to be rich, powerful, uh, and enjoy life. And quite apart from any sense of values. So this kind of life uh, is a life in pursuit of artha and karma. Artha and karma. Karma means just pleasure, pursuit of pleasure. And artha means, literally it means money, but it means um, uh, you know, earning your way in life, um, setting aside um, for, the, for a rainy day. Uh, it means success. It means uh, getting educated, holding a responsible position, all of that, doing well in, uh, in, in your life. All of that can be put under artha, including power and all of that. So just the pursuit of these two, this kind of life is called uh, the vishayi, worldly life, but adharmic, without any basis in values. This is samsara, but it's the worst form of samsara. It leads to a lot of harm to oneself and a lot of harm to society also. There, there was a saying when I read an article when one of the Wall Street crashed last time, uh, 10 to 12 years ago. In Time Magazine, there had an article that there was a saying among the players on Wall Street. Um, YBG, um, IBG. You'll be gone, I'll be gone. You'll be gone, I'll be gone. Let's just do it and make a few million dollars and it'll ruin the financial system. It'll bring untold harm to, say, for example, many homeowners and so on. But it doesn't matter. You'll be gone, I'll be gone. We'll make our money and go. Let the system collapse. And that's what actually happened. So a pursuit of uh, wealth and pleasure they usually go together without any reference to values. Now, this can be done in a much better, more sustainable, more wise way. That's, that's where dharma comes in. Dharma in the sense of morals, ethics, decency. So most people in society are not that YBG, IBG type of people. Most people, uh, they are and they would consider themselves to be decent people. So we all have a sense of values. We all have a sense of that I am a good person. This is what I would not do. I would not go below that level. So a uh, an ethical life, moral life, that is called also vishayi, worldly life, but dharmika vishayi. Dharmika vishayi. Um, a worldly person, but the goals are still worldly, but within the limits of morals, within the limits of ethics. And in the ancient times, this dharmika vishayi also was a religious person, a devout person. But the goal was, I will do well here and because of my good works, I will go to heaven afterwards. It's a temporary heaven, remember. So I'll be assured of doing well in this cycle of birth and death. But it took a long view, not just one life, multiple lives. I will do well. Uh, it seems to be a pretty good thing, actually. But it, it perpetuates samsara. One still is caught in this cycle of uh, birth and death. Now, I was just thinking, take a look at positive psychology. Martin Seligman, who can be legitimately called the father of modern positive psychology, uh, he has this, he studied happiness. Uh, one succinct way of putting his ideas about happiness is happiness H is equal to P plus E plus M. Uh, P is pleasure, E is engagement, M is meaning, a meaningful life. So his idea was that, or his findings were, if you want fulfillment in life, you need these three in life. Uh, first, the, the usual place where uh, we look for happiness, immature minds especially, jump into look for happiness, eat something nice, go and watch a movie, hang out with friends. This is called pleasure, P. And it does give happiness. Uh, so pleasure, pleasure and happiness are not the same thing. 
but pleasure does give happiness sense pleasure for example the pleasure pleasure of good company um, it gives happiness but it, it, the happiness it gives has many problems one is it's strictly limited it comes and goes it's um, it's just matter of moments or minutes then you have to repeat it all over again uh, it's gone the um, second problem is this happiness is uh, constitutionally dissatisfying by that what i mean is you go out and purchase things black friday with great hope and great and a lot of energy is required people will queue up like anything and then you come back with a shopping load full of things but you are bound to be a little left down let down you do you don't get that kind of uh, shopping euphoria uh, you know nirvanic bliss out of the shopping you were expecting at least the amount of energy and um, the joy with which you went there no you don't get up to that level you see here uh, robert wright who wrote the book uh, why buddhism is true and he's written a number of other books he's a neo darwinian evolutionary psychologist i mean he he propounds that he, he's a science writer basically um and a public intellectual he has written a book like uh, um a book on evolutionary psychology the moral the moral uh, animal i think that was one of his books and then the one which i liked was about about god the evolution of god <laughs> but his most recent book very nice book on why um on why buddhism is true there he says um notice all the things which promise pleasure to us uh, sense enjoyment say eating food uh, or anything that promises pleasure to us notice that when we do it we do not seem to get the kind of pleasure that was promised to us that seemed I, i'll be very happy if i eat this if i watch this movie or have this enjoyment i'll be very very happy at the end of it you are not that very very happy you get something but much less than that and he says this makes perfect sense um, from an evolutionary standpoint makes perfect sense from an evolutionary standpoint why nature has programmed us to seek those pleasures the pleasure of eating pleasure pleasure of reproduction pleasure of uh, human company all of those things why because that's how nature works nature wants you to do that nature wants you to survive and reproduce but nature also does not want you to be too happy it will promise a lot of happiness you go into it you don't get as much or much less than what you expected and that's exactly what nature wants so that you will try again nature doesn't want you to eat once um, have one child or um, hang out once in a group of people no it wants you to socialize and reproduce and eat and survive and to keep doing it as long as you're alive so the it's like a treadmill uh, or he compares it to las vegas the the games the gambling games there not that you don't win you do win sometimes you win just enough to make you try again so nature is has programmed you like that and that's absolutely by design which also means all those promises are hollow view as a conscious being if you get on the treadmill of desire you're guaranteed to be disappointed because it has been designed in that way the design to disappoint you designed to make you do it keep doing it uh, the beneficiary is nature but not you not us uh, so he he points that out um so that's one of the defects of that p pleasure component that it is inherently dissatisfying we want more of it afterwards to get the same level of satisfaction or or more varieties of it and that's how economics works that's how late capitalist society works more and more of this you get more uh, you drive the economy and uh, this is how pleasure works so he says unfortunately you get very little happiness out of pleasure next he says luckily there's another option engagement achieve something go do a job get a degree do a job earn money um, start a business um, uh, you engage in something or even take up a hobby something that challenges you this is the difference between pleasure and engagement this is martin seligman this is the difference between pleasure and engagement is one is passive the other one is active for example if you lie down on your couch and watch a, a sports game on tv that is pleasure but if you get up and go outside and play the game some game you play that is engagement where you are actually actively engaging in that and he says engagement whether it's a job career or it is your um, 
uh, a hobby, whatever it is, it gives more happiness than pleasure. Engagement gives more happiness than pleasure. That's his, uh, his take on this. So you have pleasure, little bit of happiness, but if you want more happiness, more lasting happiness, you find something to be engaged in something that you like. You are very lucky if you have a job which you like. When you're doing this job which, and you like doing it, that's engagement. That is the happiness coming from engagement. And then he says there is an even higher level of happiness, more stable, more deep, which comes from having a meaningful life. This is mean, M, M, meaningful life. It does not go into spirituality. Meaningful life might be, for example, where you typically, where you help others, you are doing something for others, many others are benefiting from your life. Um, that's why, for example, families, you automatically get a little bit of that. The moment you become a mother or a father, you know this much at least that uh, this, this one or two or three people at least will benefit from what I am doing. So you get some meaning in life there, meaningful life, but it has to be much larger than that. Very soon that is not enough for any person. It has to go beyond that uh, into the community or larger. Or one can have a meaningful life in um, you know, art, um, you know, writing a book or scientific research. That also can give you meaningful life. So these are the three components. And his advice is don't try to get happiness from pleasure. It is not worth the effort. You will get very little. Engagement is a good thing to look for and um, meaningful life. If you are lucky enough and careful enough to find and sustain it, that's the best thing. All right. Why am I saying all this? There's a point to it. If you take all these three, you notice how quickly it maps onto the traditional scheme of dharma kama moksha in Hinduism or in Indian system of values, what are the goals that, not what we should pursue, we pursue. We pursue this. It's a fact in life. Whatever you're doing in life, you're pursuing one of these four. First, karma. It matches pleasure exactly. Karma means pleasure, the search for pleasure, sensuous pleasure basically, but matches pleasure. Then, atta, job, money, success. It sort of matches engagement. And dharma, you can sort of force fit meaningful life into dharma. So these three, dharma, artha, kama, the pursuit of dharma, artha, kama, are in modern terms, happiness, engagement, meaningful life. Why am I saying all of this? All of this is in this, firmly in the basket of prayers. This is prayers. The pleasurable, the attractive, the delectable, the nice life, even the good life, still samsara. If you just pursue pleasure, you're guaranteeing a hellish samsara. If you pursue pleasure plus engagement plus meaning, you're guaranteeing a heavenly samsara, but still samsara. You're perpetuating samsara. You're still caught in the cycle. As distinguished from this, now going beyond the paradigm of uh, um, of uh, you know, Seligman or even Maslow and others. Though Maslow has, has indicated something beyond uh, self-actualization. So you come to freedom from this samsara, which is uh, Shreyas Moksha. All these Indian philosophies, Vedanta, all of them, from most ancient times, they proclaim that it is possible to attain uh, true fulfillment in human life, lasting, deep fulfillment, and possible to be proof against, secure against suffering. I like that definition by Wittgenstein. He says, religion is the quest for ultimate security. Security against what? Security against suffering. So that is moksha. That is nirvana, kaivalya. Many, many ancient words for it. Um, okay. Now, again, let's take another pass at this Shreyas prayas thing. Look at the Vedas. The Vedas are firmly divided into Shreyas and Prayas. The entire ritualistic corpus of the Vedas, where the various, what Nachiketa asked for in the first boon and the second boon, both are um, prayers. Various rituals which are prescribed there in the Vedas. What are they for? They are for, uh, you know, getting good crops, rainfall, plenty of wealth, defeating your enemies, getting children, going to heaven after death. All of this is prayers. 
the sweet life, the delectable life, the attractive life. So if it's sweet and delectable and attractive, what's wrong then? As I said, all of it is vitiated by problems. It is impermanent, ultimately dissatisfying. They are addictive. The more and more you satisfy these pleasures, uh, more desires, the more and more you will want of it. Um, and yet, they are not fulfilling at all. Sri Ramakrishna put it this way, collecting a bunch of zeros, that is, that is what is there in, in prayers. You're looking for that one, that is Shreyas. It's in Sri Ramakrishna's language. In the Vedas, all the karmakanda, all the ritualistic portions are meant for uh, prayers. Notice, it is religion. If you are a Vedic ritualistic person, that's your religion. And so it's not being condemned. It's, if you're going to be in samsara, it's much better to be a moral person, much better to be a devout person and lead an ethically sustainable life instead of just desperately chasing pleasure and, uh, and uh, wealth. Um, the Upanishadic portion, like Katopanishad, what is called the Jnana Kanda, the knowledge portion, is firmly in the camp of, in the basket of uh, Shreyas, Moksha, the dis distinction. Dharma, Artha, Kama are Karma Kanda, are Karma Kanda ritualistic portion. They are prayers. They are samsara, good samsara, but samsara. And they are vitiated by limitedness, dissatisfactoriness, and the perpetuation of suffering. And um, the Upanishadic portion is prayers, is shreyas, is moksha, spiritual liberation, and there it is, the path. There are two paths. So now the path of karma is um, prayers. And the path of knowledge is Shreyas. By the path of karma, I don't mean karma yoga. I mean the path of action in the world. The law of karma. The law of karma is when you're caught in that, you're setting in motion powerful forces, karmic forces. And if you do it wisely, you will generate good karma and you'll have a better life in this world and the next. If you do it unwisely, you'll generate bad karma and have a nasty life in this world and the next. But that is the way of karma, not karma yoga. That'll come, that's different. On the other hand, here is the spiritual path. The spiritual path, the Upanishadic path, um, the Vedantic path, are all kinds of spirituality, which takes you to moksha. There comes, it's the path of knowledge. In Advaita Vedanta, we'll call it path of knowledge. But karma yoga is also part of it. Bhakti yoga is part of it. Raja yoga is part of it. All of it is designed to take you to spiritual liberation. So they are two different paths. They cannot be combined, like light and darkness. Okay, one more distinction. This is very powerful and stark. The path of prayas, samsara, is avidya, ignorance. The path of shreyas, moksha, is vidya, the path of knowledge. The two cannot be combined. If one begins to understand what samsara is, and what moksha is, you will choose moksha. There's no other way. Notice some intelligent people who are atheistic, who don't are, are not, who keep on denying religion, spirituality, they make a point of debunking and denying spirituality or religion because they know that somewhere deep inside, they know that uh, to be entirely devoted to this world, this worldly life, you need to deny these things. They know in their heart that these are two different paths. And this path, the, the higher path of spirituality has to be proved to be false in order for me to fully enjoy this world. That's a sign of intelligence, actually. <laughs> they don't realize it. But in their heart of hearts... See, otherwise, if a person just wanted to have a good time in this world, you could just ignore. People in the world ignore so many things. If you want to have a good time in this world, you want to party and and uh, enjoy life you would you, what about quantum mechanics you would say i'm not interested it doesn't make any difference to me similarly about spiritual life you could say i'm not interested it doesn't make any difference to me i'll enjoy this no an intelligence person who is given to worldly enjoyments will make it a point to deny the reality of spirituality because they are two opposite paths to choose one you are automatically denying the other one um sri ramakrishna would say they don't worry about 
trying to give up the world, if you move towards God, you'll automatically move away from the world. You put a positive spin on it. Go towards spiritual light, the world will drop away from you. Not physically. Again, don't worry. Everything will be there, but that's not your goal anymore. What else do I want to say? Let me see. Something from the commentary. It says, Te ubhe nanarthe purusham sinita. They, these two paths, in two different directions, they bind you. Samsara obviously binds you in the cycle of birth and death. And the spiritual path also, in a good sense, binds you, means it engages you in the spiritual pursuit. It's a path with a definite goal of liberation from samsara. That's why when people read Vedanta, sometimes they ask, oh, so I am Brahman, then I don't need not do any, why should I do spiritual practices? Then I don't need to do anything. You may say that, but do you really feel that? If you really feel that you are in suffering, you are there, you have not transcended the worldliness, you have not realized the ultimate, just saying I'm Brahman won't help anyway. So you have to walk this path. You are equally set, engaged in a particular path. Just as the worldly person is engaged in a particular path, in worldliness, they have to accumulate money. Uh, they have Basically, at, at its root, they have to do good karma. In, in order to enjoy the world and avoid bad karma. Similarly, the rest of us, the, those of us who have elected to take the uh, spiritual path, we also have to be engaged, not in trying to do good karma in order to enjoy the world, but in trying to do spiritual practice. We have to do karma yoga, not the, the, karma, the law of karma type of karma. Karma yoga, bhakti yoga, raja yoga, jnana yoga, and fill our lives with these practices. If you are on the path of Advaita Vedanta, central will be Jnana Yoga, others will be peripheral. Karma Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, Raja Yoga, central will be Jnana Yoga. So there are two different paths. This has to be realized. That's why such a big distinction was made between householder path and monastic path. The monastics were entirely on this um, path of um, this Nishreya, Shreyash. And the householders were supposed to be on the path of prayers. But then again, this distinction ultimately is not helpful because the householder too can want moksha. There have been any number of examples of enlightened uh, householders. You cannot ignore it. In every tradition, it is there. So it's not so much a formality of who is wearing what dress or you're staying in a house or an apartment or an ashram. No. Uh, it is more your decision. He says, he will come now. Tayo shreya adadanasya sadhu bhavati. Of these two, um, the one who chooses, look, here it is left to your free will. It is left to your choice, but it must be a distinct choice. One who chooses the spiritual path. He comes to good. Sadhu Bhavati means he attains the good. He attains the praiseworthy. That person attains the highest. Then, Yau Preyavrinite, Hiyate Arthad, the one who selects the, the pleasurable that person falls away from the goal. Here it just says Artha, but then money is also a goal, pleasure is also a goal, dharma is also a goal. He means moksha, falls away from the ultimate goal of human life. Moksha is the ultimate goal of human life. That person falls away, who consistently selects the pleasurable over what is good. Here I'll just make one more point from positive psychology. See, here... The commentator says, who is the one who, um, who uh, selects the good and who selects the pleasurable? The one who selects the pleasurable, uh, the commentator Shankaracharya says, Adhuradarshi, the one who is not a long seer, far seer, far sighted. What does that mean? It's very interesting. It's not just for spiritual life, just for even for success in worldly life, what is necessary um, for this? This is something interesting I had read many years ago, the, the experiments of Walter Mischel, and they were repeated by Philip Zimbardo. In fact, anybody who studied psychology, you would have studied the classic textbook of psychology written by Zimbardo. Zimbardo's psychology textbook has, I think, run into dozen editions, 15 or 16 editions. So... Uh, we all, many of us have heard of the experiment. I'll just repeat it quickly and then go ahead. The general outline of the experiment was many years ago, Walter Mischel, I think, was Princeton or Yale or somewhere here. 
um, he did this experiment with four-year-old kids. Um, why four-year-old? Before four years old, they did not have the cognitive capacities to listen and reason it out and um, you know exercise their will. Uh, after that, it becomes a little more complicated as the thinking becomes more sophisticated. So four-year, five-year-old kids. What Walter Mitchell did was uh, he uh, asked the child to come into the room and uh, ask the child that do you want a... Actually, you can see this experiment, not Walter Mitchell's original experiment, but Zimbardo's experiment. It's, this is very cute videos available on YouTube. So I can tell you that experiment. So the psychologist asks the child to come in and uh, tells the child that do you... First of all, distracts the child with some question, this thing and that thing. And then as if offering a reward, but that's the real experiment, <coughs> offers the child a marshmallow. Now, I had spoken about this experiment in India to IIT students, but at that time, I didn't even know what was a marshmallow. I'd never seen one in my life. It's only after coming to the United States, I saw what a marshmallow was and ate one. But he offers, to the, offers a child a marshmallow and says, you can eat it now, but would you want two? Every child says, yes, I want two. In that case, just wait a while. I'll go outside. Here's the marshmallow in front of you. Don't eat it now. I'll come back and then you can, uh, I'll give you two. I'll give you one more if you have not eaten it. If you eat it, that's it. Then you will not get the second one. So you're not, you'll get this marshmallow anyway. And the second one you'll get if you wait a little bit. And every child, this is important. Every kid, if you see in the experiment, it's very funny. Every kid agree, agrees immediately. I'll wait. I'll, I'll have two. And they don't know that they're being recorded. And the psychologist leaves the room. And you can see the videos. <laughs> they're very funny the children now for a little child even waiting 10 minutes is a long time especially if he has a delicious marshmallow in front of the child so some of the children straight away eat it that said they won't eat but they straight away eat it and they don't get the second marshmallow some of the children they wait and those videos are very funny and a little boy or girl looking plaintively at the door when will the psychologist come back uh, or they, they distract themselves. They play little games or something or the other. In order, so all, all instinctive uh, in order to avoid the temptation of looking at the marshmallow. Some of them fail. They look at the marshmallow and eat it. Some of them succeed. They wait and then they get the second marshmallow. Now, what is important about this little experiment? Walter Mitchell and later on Philip Zimbardo also, they divided these two groups of children into two groups without telling them, just on paper. Then they followed their career. They went back some 14 years. Michelle did that. 14 years later, when the kids were about to go to high school, come out of high school, go to college, they found significant differences between these two groups. The group which could not withstand the temptation and the, those kids who withstood the temptation. Those kids who withstood the temptation, they were able to, you know, they were better at, uh, at studies. Their SAT scores were significantly higher. They socialized better. They were seen as more dependable by parents and teachers. And they were liked better by their classmates. Those who could not restrain themselves turned out to be more impulsive, uh, you know, um, not completing the assignments, going off on a party and being easily distracted in many ways. And clear differences emerged over 14 years. These differences are only going to get wider and larger as they go into life, into jobs and all, into marriages and all. It will be bigger and bigger differences. So um, this ability to control one's impulse, this was later worked by, um, uh, by uh, who wrote that book on uh, EQ, Emotional Intelligence, um, the famous psychologist who, who designed the term, Daniel Goldman, Daniel Goldman, yes. Daniel Goldman, he uh, incorporated this into this idea of uh, uh, control of impulses. So that is part of emotional intelligence, the ability to withhold gratification, uh, to postpone gratification. All of us face this, that uh, if I put in a little more effort, if I stop um, enjoying, you know, like little, little pleasures in life and put in the effort in my studies or in my exercise or whatever it is, I will get huge benefits in few years, but postpone that much discipline. Now, why I'm saying all this, one reason is Philip Zimbardo, he says, he takes, what the message he takes is, 
he says that some children have this ability to see into the future as it were some are present oriented some can as it were see into the future means not anything esp or nothing like that it's just that that the reward available in the future is real for them whereas the other kids who are impulsive what is the marshmallow in present present in front of them that's the only reality the two marshmallow the second marshmallow is too vague and not attractive enough so they give in to the present temptation the future achievement is not so attractive or real they don't have the the discipline or the grit to hold on till they get that result and i was amazed to see the difference between those who select the pleasurable and those who select that which is good and beneficial shankaracharya commentator says those who see into the future those who cannot see into the future or they cannot make it real enough in sanskrit he just uses one word aduradarshi vimudha fooled deluded because unable to see the consequences of what's going to happen and this is true philip dimbardo is not talking about walter mitchell is not talking about enlightenment god realization no no he says for success in this life which is very much part of what man might call an enlightened prayas a better samsara so one thing which makes for a better samsara is this ability this emotional intelligence um they generally can design a better life generally there are many other factors this is one point i wanted to make so this is an important verse what is true of trying to make a better life for yourself in this world the discipline it takes to complete a degree the discipline it takes to raise a family the discipline it takes to hold a job uh, all of those things require a certain degree of discipline um, and self control and in spiritual life much more so so in spiritual life if you want shreyas this quality of seeing into the future that i will get enlightenment and that will solve all of my problems and that's real it's a great blessing if one can think in that way then then one will pursue this path spiritual life so this this verse uh, is this mantra is very important anyat shreya anyat uteiva preya the pleasurable and the good are different they put you on different paths the path the difference may not be so noticeable at the beginning 10 years down the line 20 years down the line 50 years down the line the one who has walked or walked on the path of spirituality the one who has immersed uh, himself or herself in worldliness the difference will become very big it will become very big in one lifetime itself it becomes very big dayo shreya adadanasya the one who selects so conscious decision to select spiritual life they reach the goal of human life which is moksha in general also you can take this uh, advice those who do not do those who keep on going in for the pleasurable it literally says they miss the goal you can see even say they miss worldly goals also one who gives in to pleasure seeking will miss worldly goals will not complete assignments on time will not uh, do the job on time cannot hold on to a job cannot uh, uh, runs away from family responsibilities every kind of uh, problem will hound the person who uh, keeps on selecting the pleasurable over the what is good and and uh, somebody put it this way um, that the difference between that which is desired and that which is desirable desirable in the sense of good for your life and desired means our senses our mind our samskaras keep on wanting then the next mantra shreyascha preyascha manushya meta ಸೋಭ್ರೀತೆಸ್ಟ್ಲೇಟ್ಸ್ಟ್ಲೇಟ್ಸ್ಟ್ಲೇಟ್ಸ್ಟ್ಲೇಟ್ಸ್ಟ
if you say the one who chooses the good over the pleasurable, then people should choose that. But why, why don't more people choose the spiritual path? Why do most people choose uh, the path of prayers, not of shreyas? The path of worldliness, not of spirituality. The commentator asks this. Why do people cling mostly to the pleasurable only? So that is being answered. The first thing he says, both come to you. The pleasurable and the good, they come to you. The worldly and the spiritual. When do they come? All the time. They're coming to us. And this power of choice we have, we have to make a choice. When? Not only once. I decide my goal is God-realization. I My goal is not pursuit of uh, wealth and power and pleasure in the world. How many times do you have to decide? Not once. Once, twice, thrice, every day. Moment to moment. So all the time. Get up in the morning. Early morning, you have to get up and meditate. Should I get up? Oh, it's too cold. Let me stay in the comfort of the uh, blanket. That is um, prayers. No, let me jump out of the bed or out of the comfort of the blanket and wash my face and you know and get ready and go to meditate. That is Shreyas. They had made a decision. One of our senior monks used to say, the worst is to lie in the bed and think, should I get up now or little sleep a little more? He says, either go back to sleep or jump out of bed. Let lie down there and this tamasic. Um, holy company is good that way. I mean, it's, it becomes much easier, even for a, an average, per ordinary person, if everybody else around you is doing it. So that's why it's good to set good standards in families. Uh, and that's why there's an ashram, you know, difficult to get up. Well, I also thought, how will I get up at 3.40 in the morning? But it was so easy. Everybody is doing it. You feel, you cannot sleep. You feel guilty and uh, ashamed if you are the only person left in the monastery and everybody's got up and gone for meditation. No. So like the ashram, in the family also. If you set certain high standards, uh, it will benefit everybody. Don't force. Sometimes spiritual people can become very preachy people and that annoying other people. You can show by example. Then they approach both. Samparitya the spiritual seeker considers them well. Not all the time, has made, had considered at least once in life and has considered them well and knows the limitation, like Nachiketa. Whatever the range of pleasures, pleasurable things offered, prayers, Nachiketa knows, I don't want any of it. He wants only the Shreyas. I remember this little example in Belurmat in summer. It's very hot. So a very cool drink of uh, yogurt and, uh, and some spices and all. A very nice to, uh, drink is offered to Sri Ramakrishna in the afternoon when it is hottest. So it's a bit like lassi, but much thicker. And then prasad, obviously. Um, so the monks get it by turn. And it's eagerly awaited because it's very nice. And you get it once a year, half a glass once a year, <laughs> if you are a monk in, in Belurmat. Now, it's, there's a story that once a young monk took it to Swami Turiyananda in those days, in the early days of the order. It was his turn. You know, the Sri Ramakrishna's disciple Turiyananda, who was very disciplined, very austere, very Vedantic, so took it to him. So, Swami, this is your turn. You have the offered prasad in Sri Ramakrishna, this, this uh, lassi or this yogurt drink. So Swami took a sip and said, you take it away. Then uh, this monk asked, isn't it good? Wasn't it nice? He said, yes, it was nice. That, that's why I take it away. <laughs> so that is the rejection of the prayers. Oh, the tongue likes it. No. Now that's maybe too much, but it's a good, all of these things that these direct disciples did was a good example for them, setting an example for everybody. Take what is necessary for the body. No. Eat to live, not live to it. Eat to live is uh, Shreyas. Live to eat, Shreyas. So considering well, Samparitya. It is not out of some fanaticism, not out of um, just, you know, unthinking way. Well thought out. Then 
Dhira means the spiritual seeker, the spiritual hero who is seeking enlightenment. Vivinakti, it's an important word. This is the word from which, the root from which Viveka comes. The discernment between eternal and non-eternal. Non you know what it means? Separation. He separates. In his mind, he separates. This will lead me down this route. That will lead me to this route. Which one do I want? Um, Sri Ramakrishna used to say, the, he would, I'll tell you in Bengali and then translate. Very nice phrase. He says, Chinite balite mishayache, pipre alada korte pare. Sand and sugar are mixed. The ant can separate them. Dude jale mishayache, harsh alada korte pare. Milk and water are, are mixed. And it is said that a swan can separate them. A swan can drink that and leave the water aside and drink the milk, it says. There's a belief like that. So the swan can separate milk and water. They're mixed. The last one is impossible to translate. In Bengali, he says, Golmale malache, malti lo golti baddiyeda. So in Golmal means gol means chaos. And mal here would mean truth or essence. In the midst of this chaos of samsara, the truth is there. The ultimate reality is right here. Leave this chaos aside. Leave this samsara aside and extract the ultimate reality. So I'm making it very philosophical. He just says in colloquial Bengali. It translates well into Hindi and Indian languages also, but not into English. Um, it lacks this, that punch. Just like the swan separates milk and water. And I was so happy to find Shankaracharya. 1200 years, 1300 years ago, he says, separates the two. What does it mean? He says, Nirakshiravat, like water and milk. You, you separate that which is preferable and that which is pleasurable. And then the, the spiritual seeker will select the preferable, the one which will lead him to God and uh, leave aside the other one. And the in, it says Manda. Manda means the inferior one. The one who is given to worldliness. Worldliness, the worldly person will instinctively. The worldly person does not consider it well. The spiritual seeker has considered it well, thought it through. That these are the things. More money, better apartment, better gadgets, uh, um, relationships, and all of this, I have seen it through. And therefore, I don't want. I have seen this in this life or the past life, and I don't want any of this. Therefore, I select the spiritual path. The other one who selects the pleasurable path, the worldly path, does not select it after thinking it through. It just automatically selects it. Why? Yoga Kshema Trinite. Because you, here Yoga Kshema is a word you find in Gita also. Um, yoga Kshema. Yoga means joining, acquisition. Kshema means preserving, protecting. I want more, acquire more money, more property. Um, um, husband, wife, children, acquire more and more and more. That is yoga. And kshema, maintain it. Preserve the property and the money and the gadgets and you know all of that. Uh, take care of the family. And so all of this is yoga kshema. This is samsara. If you look around, people are doing just this. Unless they're little kids or teenagers going away for a party, most people are engaged in acquisition and preservation. The world around us is acquisition and preservation. Um, Gita, so what do we do? Here, Upanishad is very clear. Don't go in for this acquisition, preservation. Look for enlightenment. Everything, when it comes to you, this is about acquisition, preservation, this is enlightenment. Choose this one. But we say we are poor human beings. We have... Uh, commitments in the world. You, Swami, you also have to run an ashram. You cannot say acquisition, preservation, you have to give it up. Won't you um, preserve the ashram? When Won't you collect donations for the ashram? A householder has to earn money, take care of the family. So what about this acquisition, preservation, yoga, shema? It cannot be ignored, even if you're a spiritual seeker. Then what? Gita offers the solution. Krishna says to Arjuna, yoga, shema, vaham, yaham. I shall, if you are constantly devoted to God realization, if you are a spiritual person, don't worry about your life. I'll take care of you. What a great assurance. So I won't go for a job. Will God, Krishna turn up and do my job for me? No. 
If you are of that category where you are immersed in samadhi, then Krishna will do it for you. No harm will come to you. But you can't say that I'm going to relax in my bed and sleep a few hours more because Krishna is going to go and do my job for me. No, then Krishna won't do your job for you. <laughs> so, but you need not worry about your worldly possessions and affairs. God will protect you and take care of you. What a great assurance. You pursue God realization. That is the goal of human life. The other things God will. See, we are not satisfied with that because we have strong desires about that. I want that little bit more achievement, more money, more Facebook likes or whatever it is. And that I will try to get. I can't leave it to God. And then you are in the path, path of prayers, samsara. So Krishna says, yoga kshema vahamya. By the way, those who are from India, you know, the biggest insurance corporation in India, life insurance corporation, their motto is Yoga Kshema Vahamyaham. I shall take care of your acquisition and protection. <laughs> so they're taking it from the Gita. Um, it is God who does that for the spiritual seeker. If you're not a spiritual seeker, then your acquisition and preservation is up to you. It's, you have to engage in karma. Then you're on the path of karma. Not karma yoga, karma. Cause and effect. Good karma, bad karma. Uh, Papa and Punya, merit and demerit. You're on the track to heaven or hell. That is samsara. Yoga kshema, uh, he says, because of yoga kshema, the, uh, the inferior one, the worldly one, manda means inferior one, worldly one, pursues the path of worldliness. Now, if that person does it in a wise way, um, you know, following the discoveries of uh, uh, if no one else, at least Walter Michel and uh, Philip Zimbardo, then will be a wise samsari, will we'll be a dependable person, good for the world and the next world, but will not achieve enlightenment or spirituality. A spiritual person, you're good. You're on the fast track to enlightenment. At the same time, your worldly affairs are protected. But protected means God, Sri Ramakrishna also said, when Swami Vivekananda kept on asking, pestering Sri Ramakrishna, you know the story that um, please ask Mother Kali that so that my family does not suffer for want of you know, money and food and all of that. His father had died. He couldn't get a job. They, they, it was dire straits. His family was... So Sri Ramakrishna said, why don't you go and ask Kali? And he said, oh, she listens to you. So you ask for me. Sri Ramakrishna said, you go and ask. And he couldn't ask. You see, this is a classic example of Shreya and Prayer. You know the story? Vivek, um, Sri Ramakrishna sent Vivekananda to the temple of Kali. Go and ask for uh, money for your family. This is a good day. It's a day of the night of the Divine Mother. So he went. But it was such a vivid presence of the, you know, like a radiant presence of the Divine Mother. He asked for knowledge and devotion and dispassion and came back overwhelmed. Sri Ramakrishna asked him, what did you say? I saw this. And then I asked for knowledge and devotion and, and uh, dispassion. Sri Ramakrishna said, oh, that's all right. But, but did you ask for money? And he said, no, I forgot. He said, what a fool. Go back. There's still time. He went back. The second time, the same thing happened. He came back and said, I asked for devotion. I asked for knowledge. Oh, what a fool. There's still yet time. You go again. Third time, he said, the third time, the same thing happened. And Sri Ramakrishna was, of course, very pleased. This is exactly like Yama and Nachiketa. Are you going to select? What are you going to ask for? I guarantee you, if you go to this temple of the Divine Mother of the Universe, what you ask for this one time, you're bound to get. Let's see what you ask for. And here is your Guru giving you permission to ask for worldly things also. In fact, telling you, go ask for money. When he couldn't do that, and he, then he said to Sri Ramakrishna, I know this is your play. You are doing this on purpose. Uh, Sri Ramakrishna finally, he also made a significant remark. He said, don't worry. Uh, I, your family will not lack plain food and clothing. Now notice, plain food and clothing. He didn't say your family will become millionaires. So when the Lord says, I will take care of your Shreya and prayer, I'll take care of your yoga and Kshema, uh, your acquisition and preservation of whatever you have in the world, I'll take care of that. What he means is, you will not suffer in the worldly sense. But you're not going to get an apartment in the billionaire's row. You said, Lord, you wanted me to you know, worship you. And then you said you would take care of my worldly affairs. Why am I in that little apartment? Uh, you know, 
uh, in Hell's Kitchen or somewhere? Why not on the billionaire's row? No, the Lord has not promised that. And uh, if the Lord promised it, that in Hindi they say garbar, <laughs> that's asking for trouble. So this verse says, both of them approach you. When? All the time. The spiritual seeker, considering the demerits of the worldly path, makes a decision. And decision after decision after decision. Continuous process. That I, I will have this, not that. And the worldly person, because he's engaged in acquisition and preservation, makes a decision, automatically chooses the, instinctively chooses worldly things, not spirituality. You see, when you're threatened, ah, somebody told me at the beginning of the COVID crisis last year, at this time, you have to think about Vedanta and philosophy and metaphysics. I mean, you're threatened like this. See, this is the distinction. At this time, you will catch hold of God even more. I'm not saying only Vedanta. It could be devotional. It could be your Ishtadevata. The truly spiritual person will catch hold of God in time of crisis. The, the not spiritual person, the one who is on the path of prayers, um, will instinctively look for some worldly support. I noticed one thing about in Sri Ramakrishna, Holy Mother, whenever they were in trouble, if they had something to say, they would tell it to the Divine Mother first, not to any human person. First, to God. Okay, let's stop here. Let me see. Oh, we have well gone well over time, so I won't take any questions, but let's quickly see the questions. I'll take up this theme next time and then continue. Kiran says, when do we, when we do prayers, rituals, help others, do not offer the results to God, that is prayers. Yes. Results should be offered to God. When you have a sankalpa, let this be done for curing the illness of this person, getting a job for that person, whatever it is, or for the welfare of my family in general. No, for the welfare of the world, I'm doing it for the, the you know, Ishwara Pritiyattam, for the, for the pleasure or the joy of Ishwara, of God. That is Karma Yoga. That is the kind of prayers we should do. Alpana says, how to differentiate between mind justifying due to laziness and intellect understanding the oneness with Brahman. Intellect understanding oneness with Brahman, redundancy of meditation. The intellect understanding one with Brahman would be most happy to stay in a meditative state enjoying that oneness with Brahman. Right? It will not rush out into worldly activities. Oh, I've realized I'm one with Brahman. Now let me go to a party. No. Uh, if you see the lives of enlightened ones, whether Sri Ramakrishna, Totapuri, Ramana Maharshi, how meditative and inward they were. Not trying to realize something. They've already found it. And it is so wonderful. They want to be there all the time. Sangeeta says, in the context of study, the reason why Vivekananda could not ask for anything else at that moment, a Kali can be attributed to what besides Thakur Silila? That he was a Nitya Siddha. Yes, that he was a Nitya Siddha and uh, because he was truly a spiritual seeker. He was on the path of Shreyas. Vivekananda was on the path of Shreyas. This demonstrates, just like Nachiketa, the path of Shreyas. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Arpanamastur